Well, good morning, friends, and welcome to this, our 830 service on this, the fourth Sunday of Lent. It's good to be together in God's house. Welcome to those of you in the room, many more we know joining us online. It's good to worship God together in this way today. My name is James Howell. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm up front this morning with my friend and colleague, Dr. Uyan Kim. Grateful to be together. There's so many places that we can be with other folks, but here we are at God's house together as a people of God. May all of us here in the sanctuary and those of us joining us online encounter the loving presence of God in this place through our worship. Uh, if you're a relatively new or first-time visitor, whether it be here or online, we especially welcome you. Uh, be blessed this day. A couple of things we wanted to share with you. Please do look through our This Week e-newsletter as well as the bulletin insert. Two things we want to highlight. Karen Gonzalez, our guest speaker, is coming tomorrow at 7 o'clock in Jubilee Hall. She was one of James's podcasts, a guest, and he really liked her. I really liked her, too. Uh, we're so grateful to be able to welcome her in person. Hopefully, many of you can join us together. There is a March collection for schools and children. Details of what that means and ways of what we're collecting on our bulletin on, on this week's e-newsletter. Friends, it is good that we are here. Let us continue to prepare our heart for worship.
friends, let us be united in one voice as we profess the Christian faith and the faith of the Christian church through the Apostles' Creed as printed in our bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. invite you to turn your attention to our bulletin for our prayer of confession. We serve a loving and gracious God who is quick to forgive when we come before him to confess our sins. Let us pray together, friends. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, too hidden even to realize, and too deep to undo. Forgive what we hesitate to name, what our hearts can no longer bear. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open us to a future in which we can be changed and grant us grace to grow into your likeness through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Here's the good news, friends. Uh, Christ died for us while we're still sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The Old Testament reading is 1 Samuel chapter 16, beginning with the first verse. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, seeing I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me him whom I name to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. 
When they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. Behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Rabbah. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I've been saying the last couple of weeks, and I would repeat it again today, I love the Bible, acknowledging that it can be uh, weird, it can be difficult. It's got so much strange stuff. It's not a page turner like a novel by, I don't know who, Donnelly owned, Colleen Hoover, somebody. Uh, the Bible gets misunderstood. People pull out a verse or two like, oh, this is what God is about, as if somebody pulled out just a sentence or two that you uttered in your life and said, ah, that's who she is. That would be to misunderstand someone. The Bible has weird stuff like genocide, and the genocide isn't in there to, to go thou and do likewise. The genocide is in there so that when you are appalled to find it in there, you then will be appalled when it goes on in our world. Part of what I love about the Bible are these, these vignettes, these encounters, these scenes, these moments. Uh, and here's one in 1 Samuel 16. Uh, which Barry just read to us, said in Bethlehem, that was before Bethlehem was Bethlehem, right? It was just a town where Jesse and his family lived. And uh, Saul is the king, and Saul has lost his way. Uh, they would probably say Saul has lost his mind. Saul clearly suffered from mental illness. It'd be easy for me to say mental illness was not well understood in Bible times, but then I'd have to say mental illness isn't all that well understood in our times. Not always supported and dealt with as it could be. So Saul is faltering as being king. Uh, Samuel the prophet comes for this clandestine meeting, comes to the sons of Jesse. And he says, one of your sons is to be the next king. And so, you, know, you just heard the story, but, but I love the idea of it. Jesse brings out his sons, seven of them, begins with the tallest. He probably lines them up tallest, oldest, down to the, 
shortest begins with Eliab, who must be like one strapping specimen. He has military experience. He looks like a king. And Samuel says, nope, not him. And then Abinadab, and then Shammah, and then the four more. And it's got to be wearing Jesse out. Like, these are the best sons that he's got to offer. And Samuel keeps saying no. And when he's done, he asks Jesse, are these all your boys? And Jesse says, well, there's the little one, the little guy out in the field who left him tending the sheep, didn't think he was a candidate for the king. I preached on this. This has been sort of the theme of my sermon, right? Is that God chooses the unlikely. God doesn't choose just the strong and accomplished in the world. God uses the small. God in this passage says, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature. For the Lord does not see as we see. We look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. I mean, that's just gospel. I could end the sermon right there. I hope you're not harboring the wish that I would <laughs> stop the sermon right there. I like that idea. We, we, we tend to judge by what we see superficially. God looks on the heart. God can use the unlikely, the weak. Uh, years ago, I rethought this text when I was preaching on it once again, and it occurred to me, especially when it has that little notice that I didn't pay attention to for a long time. Uh, they go out in the field, and they see little David who's left keeping the sheep, and it says, he was ruddy and handsome. He had good eyes. Like, I love that. And that made me wonder, because uh, being king back then, we tend to think, oh, you're the king. You have great wealth and a big uh, palace and a throne. In, in Israel, there wasn't a palace yet. There wasn't a throne yet. You're a king of a little tiny nation that would probably be crushed in the next battle. There was no army to lead. There was no wealth. It was not a great job. Jesse shrugs and says, well, we left him out of that. I wondered that maybe he was the favorite. Parents aren't supposed to have favorites, but like it happens, especially in the Bible. Maybe David was his favorite. Jesse was willing to say, take one of these. <laughs> I could do without these guys, but please don't think about David. He's the child of my old age. He's the one that really captures my heart. Did he fear that he might be the one? And this made me think about the number of times that uh, parents or somebody that knows you and loves you gets in the way of God's calling. You know, St. Francis of Assisi was hearing God's call to shed his wealth and live in solidarity with the poorest of the poor. And who opposed this? It was his father, Pietro, sued him in court over this. And Francis had to part with all his earthly belongings. And his father never spoke to him for the rest of his life. Parents and people that love you can get in the way of God's call. Uh, Pope Francis uh, tells the story that when he was young and... Uh, told his mother that he was going to become a priest. His mother got just violently angry and upset and was hollering and screaming at him, you're supposed to be a doctor. I wanted you to be a doctor. How disappointing that you're going to be a priest. He's Pope Francis. <laughs> Pretty good story. Not as funny to me, my own father, not a church guy, uh, wanted me to I guess follow the American dream that he tried to follow, rise up, make more money, be successful. And when I told him I'm going to be a minister, yeah, I'm not being melodramatic, but I do love his words to me. He said, son, you've got a chance to be somebody. Don't waste it. At the time, that plunged into my chest like a knife. I think my father spoke God's truth. You've got a chance to be somebody. 
I don't waste that. The question is what it means to be somebody. Uh, here's what I'm thinking about now, though, and I've always overlooked this, and this is part of what I love about the Bible. I've looked at this passage. I've preached on this passage. I have taught on this passage. I've never asked the following question, which is, how does Shammah, Amenadab, uh, Eliab, and the other four boys feel when they heard, do not look on the outward appearance. God does not look on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. And they had to say, what? What's wrong with my heart? I'm a good guy. I've worked hard. Look at me. I've done really well. What do you mean David's got the heart and we don't have the heart? What happened to those big boys? What was in their heart? If Samuel had asked them then, Eliab, Shammah, what is in your heart? What would they have seen in their heart? What do we see in our heart if God says, what's in your heart? I remember Robert Bly. <laughs> in his book, Iron John, saying that uh, a lot of times young men in our culture, somebody finally says, look into your heart, what is in there? And they're so unaccustomed to looking into their heart and talking about what's in there that when they look in there, they say, I, I, I don't see anything and I don't know. I, <laughs> they're a little bit lost. Are we like those big boys? I wonder. They're amazing, they're strong, they have high IQs, they're successful people in the world, but do they have a heart for God? How do we cultivate a heart for God? You can't just say, well, I got one, I got one, I got a heart for God. How do you cultivate a heart for God? You don't wind up like those big boys. Some of it is learning to see, learning to see. Somebody reminded me this week of a verse that begins Romans chapter 12. Um, this verse, by the way, when I went off to college, uh, I was rooming with uh, my best friend from childhood. He had a girlfriend that he carried with him from high school into college. They're still married after all this time. And she uh, cross-stitched a little Bible verse that we could hang up in our dorm room. That sounds so lovely, doesn't it? Except when your college guy's going off like, do you want a Bible verse on your wall? I, I wouldn't have hung it up, but he did. And it was from Romans chapter 12, and it said, here's a, boy, here's a word for college freshman boys. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within. Like, oh, thanks. <laughs> And what a good verse, remold, let God remold your mind from within. You see, being a, having a heart for God is seeing differently, perceiving differently. That verse goes on to say, you offer your bodies as a sacrifice to God. What do you do with your body? Is it a sacrifice that is offered to God or is it some, some instrument for my own pleasure and fun? What does that mean, to cultivate a heart for God? Uh, I thought about the 23rd Psalm. Uh, by the way, worship people, this is what happens when I forget to proofread the bulletin. I didn't get that done this week. We were supposed to read the 23rd Psalm together. You know it, though, in your mind. I thought about maybe the 23rd Psalm. Like David is a shepherd. He's out with the sheep. Did he write Psalm 23? If he did, maybe it's a, an index into how to cultivate a heart for God. It begins, doesn't it? by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I've told some of you this before. When people travel with me to places like Israel, we're getting ready to go to Turkey this September, so I'll have a few spaces there. When people come with me to such places, 
they're always just stunning surprises. My first stunning surprise when I went to Israel as a young man was the first shepherd that I saw. The bus driver turned and said, there's a shepherd up here, and everybody pulled out their camera to go, oh, we're gonna get a shepherd, and oh my goodness, this shepherd. He's out in this field, he, he's wearing an Elvis T-shirt, He's got these green gouaches on, and he's got a stick, and he is swatting the rear end of these sheep, shouting, I don't know what he was shouting, at the, the Lord is my <laughs> shepherd. And let me suggest to you that if you have a heart for God, you know that God might just be that kind of shepherd, that you might just be the kind of person that needs that kind of shepherd. I read somewhere that sheep aren't perverse so much as they just nibble themselves lost. They're, they're there with the sheep, and oh, there's some grass, oh, there's some grass, oh, there's some, oh, oh, and pretty soon they're lost. Uh, Lisa and I went us on sabbatical 10 years ago. Uh, we did a hike with a couple of friends. We hiked Hadrian's Wall in England. That was great fun. You're way off the main roads. You wind up in all these uh, sheep folds. You're walking through sheep. You're having to go over sheep fences, and the sheep are all within the fence. And I'll never forget this one day. We're walking along, and we see all these sheep. They're within the fences. They're supposed to be, and then there's this one sheep. Like, he's out. She's out. I don't know, male, female. Who knows these things? We'll say he. This sheep is out. And as Americans, we might say, he's free. He wasn't happy to be free. He wanted back on the other side of the fence, but he's looking up and down. He can't figure out how to get to the other side of the fence. He hollers out to his friend's sheep. On the other side, he says, bah! And this one sheep looked back at him and said, bah! I don't know how to translate sheep, but I suspect the one was saying, how do I get back? And the other one said, I don't know. If you have a heart for God, you know that we're, we're like that. Right? We're not all good and pious and, oh, I'm just fine as I am. Elvis t-shirt with a switch. Uh, God can be like that. I love that the, I've never paid attention to this in the Psalm. Psalm 23, you know the line? It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. We like that. But I'm thinking about the word makes. If I make you do something, it's something you may not do on your own, but I make you do it. And let me, at the beginning of Lent, so one of the challenges that we face in life is we feel like time is just flying by so fast. If you're a parent of young children, like they're just growing up too fast. If you're getting my age, like you're getting old too fast. Everything is just flying by. I said at the beginning of Lent that the only way to slow things down is to slow down. The only way to slow things down is to slow down. There's nothing in society that will say, be still, breathe, and know that God is God. It's God who makes us lie down. Everything doesn't depend on you and your feverish activity. If you have a heart for God, you're willing to rest, to be still, to turn off the gadgets, I mean, David is such a good example. He wasn't good at his own language, right? David's always, you know, rushing around. You talk about a guy who needed somebody with a switch shouting expletives at him. He was a mess. You don't want your daughter to marry a guy like David. He was terrible to his wives. He was ruthless as a king. But maybe he knew that God was like that. Maybe he knew that God needed him to be still. He knew he needed to be still, wasn't any good at it, but he had the heart, at least, to know. 
Uh, here's the thing. Somebody did this. I wish I could say I thought of it, but I didn't. Somebody looked at the Hebrew of Psalm 23, and they counted how many words are in it. And lo and behold, there are 53 Hebrew words in Psalm 23. So which words in the middle? There are 26, and then there's 26. What is that middle word? It is, it's a simple word. It's the word with. It's just a preposition. But my friend Sam Wells, who's a pastor over in England, says that with is the most important word in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say God fixes everything or shields you from all harm or is really, really angry at you. What the Bible says is that God is with us. That's Jesus' nickname at his birth. You shall call him Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus' last words before he leaves this earth, he says, Oh, I am what? With you. God is always with us. And if we have a heart for God, we know that, but then also we want to be with God. Where is God? I want to be with God. What's God's agenda? What's God's activity here on this earth? It's not what I want to do. What do I want to do? Not a very interesting question to the person with a heart for God. What do I want to do for God? That's not that interesting a question for the person with a heart for God, but what does God want me to do? Can I be with God? What is God's Agenda. Who are the people that God is anxious about? And how can we be with God and with them? I did learn uh, years back uh, this thing. Uh, Evelyn Underhill, one of the great mystical writers of uh, probably 100 years ago, wrote a great book that I love. Uh, and in it, uh, she thought about who, who says the Lord is my shepherd. And we think, oh, it's the sheep that would say the Lord is my shepherd. She said, there's another character, if you think about it, that might say, oh, the Lord is my shepherd. And that would be not the sheep, but it would be the sheep dog. I always have a dog that would help to herd the sheep. The last dog Lisa and I had was a corgi. Corgis are herders. Now, corgi, corgi, Duffy, never in his life saw herding. He came to us as a newborn puppy. He came to us as a newborn puppy just a couple months from when we had a newborn baby. This is such a bad family decision, but there we were. He was better than the baby. He didn't chew on the, Noah didn't chew on the furniture, pee on the rug. So anyway, so uh, Duffy is, he's a herder. He'd never seen herding, but sure enough, the first time as he got a little bit bigger, we had a bunch of children over for a birthday party. And he goes out in the backyard and he just began to herd them. It's just it's what those dogs do. What would it mean for us to think of ourselves as a sheepdog? This is Evelyn Underhill's question. She wrote this. You want to be one among the sheepdogs employed by the good shepherd. I do. Now, have you ever watched a good sheepdog at his work? He's not an emotional animal. He just goes on with his job quite steadily. He takes no notice of bad weather rough ground, or his own comfort. He seldom or never comes back just to be stroked. Yet his faithfulness, his intimate understanding with his master is one of the loveliest things in the world. Now and then he just looks at the shepherd. And when the time comes for rest, they can generally be found together. I love that. I would like to be a sheepdog employed by the good shepherd, and so would you.
That is actually the deepest desire in your heart, even if you're not sure what else is in there, or even if it's a mess in there. That is our deepest desire. We just want to be the kind of sheepdog we go about our work. The weather may not be good. The earth may be rough. We just want to look at the shepherd. We just want to be with him be with him. Have a heart for God. It's not being perfect. doesn't mean you don't have flaws. You don't need a, that Elvis guy with the galoshes chasing you. But we know to lie down, to be still, to trust, do God's work. Friends, thanks be to God.
Let us go to God in prayer. Generous God, as we continue through our season of Lent, let us be mindful and aware of the gift that it is, the gift to ease down, the gratitude we can offer to pause, and the benefit we are afforded to self-examine. Our prayer is that we, through this practice of Lent, will see how you see, O God, when we do slow down. Lord, in your mercy, often we become blind by our skewed perspectives and limit ourselves to the vision that you would have for us, O God. Forgive us. Forgive us when we blind ourselves of the call you have on our lives. Forgive us when we blind ourselves to the familiar and remain content with the status quo. Free us from these afflictions so that we can once again have the clarity that comes from you, that we may see as you see. Lord, in your mercy. Gentle God, throughout our daily interactions, we encounter some known and others unknown, individuals who are struggling. Stir within us through the Spirit a keen awareness of those hurting in our midst, those who are hurting physically, spiritually, or emotionally. And for us to also be self-aware when we are hurting, that we can name these encounters and offer them to you, that we can unite with one another as siblings to care for one another. God, we care, especially this morning, for the family of Joe Hall as he has transitioned into the kingdom triumphant. May we be in mind of them. So merciful God, embolden our hearts to listen to be present with one another so we may heal well together as a community. Lord, in your mercy. Gracious God, our hearts are always seeking you, whether we admit it or not. And we give thanks for your persistent pursuit of us. And we pray that these remaining days of Lent, we would be so courageous to course correct our lives so that we are living on earth as it is in heaven. We offer this prayer in Jesus' name, who taught us our family prayer by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, during our time of worship, it's when we give boldly and courageously so that we can see this church continuing to thrive in our community as we make generational impact. Give now freely.
Gracious God, what a joy it is to be able to give back to you for your work to be done, for your will, not our will. So guide us, O oh God, that we might see the way that you see through these gifts. In Jesus' holy name, amen.
give you thanks for your love for all your people. May the love of this God, the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.